like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. This now. Doesn't look if, like it's, if it takes much longer, I'm not gonna be able to breathe. This okay. Let's go. It's three sizes too small. Let's go. <laughs> that that's on recording now. Do you want me to start over? No. Okay. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of that early childhood nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi. Um, and you probably already heard Lisa Murphy is here. Hello. And Bethany Corey. Hi. Dan Hodgins. Hi there. And Richard Cohen. Hello. And we're having a pajama party for this episode. This is the 200th episode of That Early Woo-hoo. Childhood Nerd. Woohoo! And that's nuts Woo-hoo. to me. Nuts it's to me. It's the 200th episode? Yeah. What's it um, about? It's going to be about themes. What? Yeah. So well, I've got a I've got a theme for us. <laughs> okay. The theme for this episode is it's the 200th episode <laughs> of that early childhood nerd. <laughs> Woo! Yay! I'll drink to the ah, What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> so the the Wednesday listeners will have to wait till the weekend to see the visuals. <laughs> Oh, that's right. They can't see that. Uh, you're so nice. Brit, Bethany, did you not get your email? <laughs> I was having technical difficulty. <laughs> There's always we need one. need to get Dan a color printer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, look at that. It's not green. <laughs> so let's take a moment before we get into and or destroy the topic of themes. Um, ready for destruction. Yes. Okay. Well, hold that thought. Of the Ms. themes. Heather. Since this is your 200th episode, why don't we each go around and say like a favorite memory from that early childhood nerd or of Heather or something that would embarrass her or a note of congratulations, whatever you'd each like to say. Who would like to begin? You should. Oh, okay. Happy 200th episode, Heather. My favorite memory of, I'm so glad to be part of this family. My favorite memory of uh, that early childhood nerd uh, was the Alfie Cohn episode, of course, (laughs) um, that Alfie Cohn himself actually replied to um, in a PG-13 
tweet or text or something to Heather. It was a DM. He slid into oh, my Oh, he DMs. slid into your DMs. <laughs> Ooh. And that was all because of this whole gross romantic triangle between he and Heather and Lisa <laughs> uh, that I just had to take a shower afterwards. It was so gross. So that was my favorite, that early childhood nerd memory. I think when I first met Heather was uh, when we were all out in uh, Florida. I yeah. think it was Florida. And yeah. uh, we realized that we totally fangirled over certain nerdy other people. And so <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a roast or anything, but it, it, was, it was probably the first relationship that I ever started that bonded over like quoting re research in all honesty. <laughs> that, that I can't say has happened with tons of people in my life. I love it. Uh, I feel very put on the spot and I have no favorite memories okay. of Heather <laughs> or the podcast. Also cool. And, and just so the audience understands, she is not at all on the spot. She received this message yesterday. <laughs> she was given ample time to prepare. Yeah. Ample time. Ample. And if she really loved me. I don't do well under pressure and I don't think I love you. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay, whatever. <laughs> That's fair. You're fired. I do love you secretly. Mm -hmm. It's not secret. It's not secret. It's not. No, everybody knows. We yeah. saw that tattoo you got like I love nerd on with the glasses <laughs> on the inside of your arm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't know Heather that well. Uh, we, I think we met in Florida also. Uh -huh. um, I, I remember uh, we were on the pontoon and, and people went swimming to the, uh, remember that Lisa? I yeah. do, but, but do you Heather. remember how she got her first nickname? Her first nickname was non-pon. That's true. <laughs> because she refused to go on the pontoon. <laughs> right. Because of sun and heat. Right, right. right. <laughs> and also introversion. <clears throat> she just wasn't sure yet that she was ready to jump in full board with the right. <laughs> Which I don't have anymore. But what, I, what I've discovered about Heather in my short life with her so far is the great deal of respect that she has for opinions mm -hmm. um, without making a lot of judgments, at least in public. Uh, <laughs> certain topics. Um, the last time Lisa and I and, and Heather presented, Heather said she was afraid to ask, which shook me to pieces. I couldn't <laughs> believe she said that, but afraid to ask me to do a podcast. I was, I was and intimidated. Now that she asked, now that she asked me frequently, I'm thinking, does she have no respect for me? <laughs> <laughs> You're just one of the regular people again now, right. <laughs> And, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts, and I really like this one the best. It's, it's thorough, it's, it's uh, concise, and uh, it, like Richard said, it's a pleasure to be part of this group. And, and to that, I will add, because I agree with all of this, I did a Zoom workshop a couple nights ago, and one of the attendees was like, oh my God, I had to turn my camera on and see if it was you. I recognized your voice from that nerd's no! podcast. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I have my own podcast. And no, but yeah. <laughs> you know I'm Lisa fucking Murphy, right? <laughs> Well, what I love most about Heather, unlike Dan, is that she's incredibly judgmental. She's just wise enough to do it behind your back in right. after the podcast is over. Not behind your uh -huh. back, Dan. Not behind your back. 
but, no, and, and to that though, Richard, though, I, I will add that um, although it might not necessarily be uh, opinions that she wants to maybe share, they're still accurate. If I, if that makes Always. sense. One, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they're, they're maybe just like, I'm not ready to have that out there, but I know it's still correct. <laughs> or maybe it's that we happen, we just happen to agree a hundred percent with her. Maybe that, maybe we're just as judgy then. Maybe that's yeah. why this happens. I think that's probably so more likely. I can't say that I've ever been called non-judgmental before, but I have, that is something I've been working on, oh, on myself way. over the last few years is at least not being so blatantly shitty and blatant <laughs> not only am i not respected i'm a liar now <laughs> dan i will remind you that in that same conversation when we recorded last i said i was wanted i, I had wanted you to have on the, have you on the show for a while but was scared to ask you and then i also said i still can't believe you come on the show ah yeah. so sweet there's there's the respect <laughs> Every time I'm like, really, Dan's gonna talk to me again. What, Richard? I look forward to seeing how you will have grown by the 300th episode. Oh boy. Do you know how long it takes to get 100 episodes? A long time. I don't, 300 will be far away if I make it. Now I'm feeling a little jealous that nobody had a happy, happy 600th episode. You got to do it for yourself, Lisa. I, apparently, <laughs> you got to start the party yourself. I, want, I need somebody. To, I want somebody to wave a sign right. for us. Right. Oh, well, let's hold up the signs and let's sing "Happy 200th Episode." <laughs> happy 200th Episode to you. Happy 200th Episode to you. Happy 200th Episode to your nerd. I'm going to judge our singing. It was horrible. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was we'll the keep best. Our day jobs, Dan. We'll keep <laughs> our day jobs. And I like musicals. <laughs> Dan, you need to work on being judgmental behind my back. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you guys are the best. All right, so that was my theme because I'm very pro themes. Um, <laughs> we do all okay. have jammies on. Some would call that a theme. It is, yes. I did think about that, um, but we decided not to go with the drinking, so we're only a half a theme. Whoops! I didn't. Oh. Get that part. <laughs> Dan didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> this, this black and white printer cut that. Richard, <laughs> Richard, you're the one who said we shouldn't drink because we have another recording later, and now you're drinking straight from a bottle. Ah, screw it. God, Jesus. <laughs> hey, let's talk about here. let's talk about early childhood stuff. Okay. Okay. So we have been trying to set this up. <clears throat> you guys have me all choked up for a long time recording together about this theme topic because it's really hard to get five of us uh, scheduled together when we have time to do it. Um, Not actually really hard so, because two of us don't have lives. <laughs> so it's really hard to do this with Lisa and Dan. <laughs> 
but we're all here and this is going to be great. And actually it's good that it got delayed or it would not have been the 200th episode topic. And I think um, that was Richard's idea. I'll say that I was trying to do a much more difficult 200th episode and um, Richard bullied me into this instead. Um, okay. So quote comes from a blog post. Uh, the blog is called Mrs. Jones creation station. And um, she, she seems to be a, a seller of curriculum ideas and, and things. So anyway, she, she has a post about the importance of thematic units. And she says in her, why use a thematic unit section, thematic units can result in a lot of craft activities, colorful centers, thoughtful conversation and fun read alouds. There are so many reasons why using integrated thematic units can benefit your learners. It helps student engage, students engage with the content being taught, allows students to apply content throughout curricula. Learners are able to make connections. It draws from past experiences and prior knowledge and it develops vocabulary and comprehension skills. So does oh, bless her heart. Yeah, so does play, right? That was like checking that bulletproof bullet list off. Play, 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 play. Yeah. So well, that's where we I mean, can start. That, let, I mean, I'll let me jump in with there. Like those last, maybe not the first couple that you said of like her benefit, her stated benefits, mm -hmm. but those last few, you know, connecting to prior conflicts, being applying, um, attaching past experience, vocabulary, that happens organically. Uh, without an adult deciding that there is a certain thing that we're supposed to be yeah. talking about. Yeah. To be, to be fair, she cites some research um, because she says that's important to do. And the, the research that she cites is from 2016 from a woman named Susan Newman, who is a language and literacy acquisition expert. And, um, and she says um, that the themes give a more uh, intensive intentional opportunities for children to integrate their vocabulary and content knowledge. And that, that, so I just want to say the content knowledge in case anyone looks this up and said, you bashed it, but here's the research. Susan Newman, I'm familiar with because of my work in the speech language hearing department at Purdue. And she is speaking specifically to developing language here and using right. themes for vocabulary and the content she's talking about is not like math science those content areas the content that this research is talking about is a specific language um uh piece of language learning and it's like i i don't have the examples because i printed them and then i didn't get them off the printer but um <laughs> but it's it's more about how how you use language than learning content across a curriculum so the research that she's using isn't really fitting the case she's trying to make uh, so that I just had to get that out but now let's go themes Richard loves them why do you love them Richard um I was lying <laughs> um, I hate themes um I have hated themes since before Bethany was born <laughs> um or I'm guessing anyway um no, Bethany I would was not born. She emerged from the sea foam. This is true. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I would say that that what you just read and what what this author said is theoretically correct. Um, there is nothing incorrect in what she said, 
but you know, it's like Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. And so yes, children might achieve some of those goals that was on her list, but it's 2020 and we now know, even though themes are still um, so predominant in our field, and I'd love to talk about why we think that is, yes. um, because a lot of your listeners will be like, wait, what? I love themes. I've taught themes for years. What yeah. are they going on about? But um, so they're not bad. It's just that it could be better. What we've had since I was a young teacher in the 80s is the rise of neurology. We know how um, brains work in ways we never knew before. And we know there are much better, more effective ways of reaching those same goals uh, than those teacher-directed themes. So and and I, I, I agree, I agree. I, I barfed out, of course, some you know thoughts so I would sound eloquent or <laughs> uh, not scattered and all over the place. Uh -huh. Because I, I think there's, there's multiple um, entry points of conversation yeah. to this, totally dependent on where you are in your own journey, right? And, and I, I also feel very strongly that depending on who the audience is listening or at a workshop, depending on where they are on that hierarchy of decision-making, unfortunately, you can have people who are frontline providers in the classroom who think that themes are stupid, but um, aren't in any position to change the mindset of the program that they're in. And so I, I at least, I at least want to acknowledge that, that we realize that some people might be 100% in agreement, but they're just not the people who who can do anything about it. I mean, we can keep talking about it, mm -hmm. but I mean, until the owners and the directors and the people who are buying this mass produced shit that comes in the mail, until they decide to do better because we know better, um, there is an element of you know preaching to the choir or, or, or even spinning our wheels. Um, I also think that the theme has been hijacked, not theme, excuse me, the word has been hijacked. Like yes. if, we, if we call it a project, then somehow it's, it's more acceptable. I mean, because at the end of the day, if I am, am observing play episodes all day long and I start to see stuff emerge, you know, depending on what I know about those children, I might choose to take some kind of a, of a direct, uh, I don't know, a, a way to add to it or, or whatever. But I, like you, Richard, long ago broke up with that, you know, here's the list of 52 themes that the director gave to me and come hell or high water. Um, you know, it's the third, third week of December. So you have to be talking about X, Y, Z, you know, whatever, like, mm, no. But I also know, and I realize I'm kind of monopolizing here as a former owner of a program. I also know that I created a place where I wanted to be able to say, go play with a very, go, go teach with a play-based mindset. And that was like throwing teachers into the deep end because they're like, bah, what a, bah. Yeah. so we almost had to cherry pick like the most developmentally inappropriately appropriate as possible things for them to kind of guide themselves until they got comfortable with what, what we really wanted them to do. Um, and, and I think, um, you, you got to acknowledge that middle, like getting ready to make that next leap, but I need something. Otherwise I'm, I'm going to be completely 100% ineffective in the classroom. That's the fear. I, yeah. Cause, because if that's all you've known is that it's the third week in July and I'm yeah. supposed to be doing rainforest <laughs> in Indiana, <Yeah. laughs> 
you know, or right now, I mean, I'm in Florida. I, I realize this is going to air later, but you know, it's December in Florida right now. And if I see one more person gluing cotton balls onto <laughs> cut out snowmen, I'm going to vomit, <laughs> but it's winter. <laughs> and, and in Florida, we have lots of snow. We are tons. So, it's just, it's know, just falling out of the Oh, it's relevant. On paper <laughs> in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's my big, I agree with everybody. I, there's a lot of aspects of themes that we could forge into. The, one of the things that's most difficult for me is we know from brain research, and it doesn't matter who you look up, we all seem to agree that learning is integrated, not isolated. Would we right. all agree with that? Yes. Even if we took just that concept alone, that would suggest that themes it's a contradiction mm -hmm. to integration rather than isolation. Uh, and I think part, or isolation versus integration. So I think part of it is um, the aspect of using, and I do, to be honest, 36 years ago, I used themes. Mm -hmm. Me too. I was hooked by the companies that sold these marketing yeah. strategies that I thought made teaching easier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember uh, the yeah. Themisaurus books? Exactly. Oh, yeah. That, exactly. <laughs> With that and, I'll you know, tell you later, Bethany. Remember the 500 <laughs> theme books? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, then yeah. they increased it to a thousand. I thought, well, this is great. I now have two years, you know, that kind of thing. So it does make it easy, or they, I, you, they make it sound easier. And like we're teaching. Correct. And it makes it look right. like I'm teaching. Right. And that's the other component that I think we talked about this in some other sessions is the fact that sometimes people use themes depending on their stage of development because they view their aspect of I'm not sure how to teach. Yeah. Unless I use a theme. Um, rather than observing children and paying attention to what they need, et cetera. Because even at college and universities that taught of both, we really don't do a good job of helping people observe children. Mm -hmm. Do right. a better job of telling students what to do, but not really how to observe children mm -hmm. and base the curriculum on what they've observed. Mm -hmm. So I have a, an on, like right now thought in my head that's coming back to the use of the word teaching. Yes. So if we continue to stay aligned with thinking that our job is teaching, which I don't care what year it is, still in too many environments looks like the mug jug, the old yes. theory, yes. right? Open your head so I can dump in all the jug of knowledge that I've got because I'm bigger than you and older than you. Because um, I would add to Dan, what you just said is that not only does it need to be integrated, but it needs to be something the kid is interested in. Absolutely. In the first place. Yes, yeah. Because I don't wake up in the morning thinking I only want to think about bears today. I, <laughs> I just don't do that. I don't know if anybody else does, oh, but I don't. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, Richard, you <laughs> oh, can keep God. that off, Mike. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hey, I want to I want to let Bethany talk for a minute. Oh, I guess. What do you think about themes, Bethany? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, she doesn't like to be put on the spot. She's oh, not well then. I'm totally prepared for this. Oh, just okay. not about Heather. Um, <laughs> because I thought the theme was themes. And so I was prepared for that. Sure. Yeah. I woke up this morning thinking about themes. Um, Bears. Well, 
<laughs> I think that like there's for young teachers maybe or inexperienced teach I don't know for people some people teachers um, in the survivor state survival stage right it's like like it's not just that we feel like we're doing something and I'm not saying we like me but right. um But it, it's that like, like, I feel like our culture is of doing. So like, yes. I have to be busy. I have to be prepping the activity and I have to be cutting out the circles and I have to be, you know, getting the worksheets ready. And if I'm just sitting with my notebook and like watching the kids play that I'm not doing anything and I'm wasting that time. Mm -hmm. And so when we have themes, it's like, okay, I've got to get through all of these things. We've got our checklist of like crap to do. And then like, we feel busy during the day. So like, obviously we must've done something mm -hmm. if I've felt frantic all day long, trying to yes. sing the bear song and read the bear book and I found it's effective to give people baby steps of how to break up with themes. Like I think it, by saying don't do themes anymore is very much pulling the rug out okay. from under people. Sure. So yes. I think through the years I've gotten um, better at saying, well, let's, let's take a step and modify it this way. You know, let's, 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 let's. And so before you know it, they start to see, huh, it's, I'm not frantic anymore because, <laughs> wow, you know, that one thing that I started as a theme on Monday, like nobody was really into it. And so I just said, okay. And then oh, we spent the next three days, quote, just playing yeah. and huh, my stress level was down. There were fewer behavior problems in the classroom. Hmm. But then I re up on the next week. Right. And oh my gosh, that theme was so exciting to everybody. Two weeks later, we're still doing it. And I think when those organic opportunities are allowed to happen, like to have a beginning and a middle and an end, the person is more inclined to start shedding some of that their own selves instead of thinking it's something somebody's requiring of them. And I think that Dan hit the nail on the head when he said, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, Lisa, that the way to get where Lisa, how Lisa suggests, or the journey that Lisa suggests you take how to get there is by improving your observational skills. Mm -hmm. And if you notice when the children are engaged, when their affect is, is heightened and, and you're able to notice that, then and you're reflective, then you'll start to realize, oh, um, they don't all care about bears or dinosaurs or pirates. Um, I wonder if that has something to do with, um, with it. You know, and I wonder if there's an alternative to it. You know, when I was a young teacher <clears throat> back in the early 80s and I was thrown in and I was getting my BA at the same time, so I didn't have the formal knowledge. And my director said, no, this is how it works. You teach in themes. And the first week is all about me. And then it expands to my family. My family. Community, and then helpers. community helpers in my neighborhood. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds logical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do a letter of a week. So that way you can make sure you've been through all 26 letters by the end of your time together and you make sure you've covered every shape. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, that sounds like it makes good sense. Um, I, you know, so I didn't know. I think there's a lot, we have such horrific turnover yeah. in our field and we constantly have this influx of new, sometimes often young people who hear that and don't know any better and think, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Sure. I'll do that. 
and and Richard because they have their own memory jog because now yeah. you know some of the te- some of the kids that you and I had in the 80s are now coming into the field and they are essentially you know like now we're telling them to question what they themselves received right mm-hmm. and we all have had various conversations as to you know how difficult it can be to give back um, something other than what you got mm-hmm. right and you know <clears throat> in a recent podcast with Heather a couple of them with uh, Carol Garbod and Murray, Garbod and Murray, we talked about uh, that one of the push and pulls is that uh, early childhood professionals want to be part of the K through 12 system and be paid those same wages, which they certainly deserve. But those K to 12 teachers <clears throat> have a very structured curriculum on which you learn this in kindergarten and being able to learn what's in first grade is dependent on what you learned in kindergarten and so on up through 12th grade. And so a lot of the people in our field who wanna be part of that stream, or, or when I was a director and parents would say, well, I don't understand my child, I've read what they need to do in kindergarten. So aren't there concepts that you should be covering in preschool so that they can be ready for kindergarten and then first grade and on? And there's a seeming logic to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a great early childhood professional professional is often very counterintuitive right. and counterlogical. Because we know that learning isn't linear, especially right. in early childhood, but really ever. And but but then we try to teach it as if it was linear. And it's it's about familiarity and comfort level, I think, um, and experience, which you you all just just talked a lot about. I, I'm just trying to think of some other defenses of theme planning that I've come across. And one was Um, You know, if we don't have the same activities and if the children don't all do the same activities, how do we know that they're all um, learning or they're all getting what they need? And, and I, you know, that was a difficult one for me um, because my immediate answer was, well, that's not how they learn. (laughs) But, but also, you know, even if they are all sitting and participating in the same theme uh, craft or book, or they're all sitting there doesn't mean that they're getting Exactly. the learning that we think they're getting and and it just is sort of evidence of their compliance not necessarily yes, that anything right. not engagement or learning or or, or if we yeah. rotate them through stations so that we can yeah. make sure that every child has gets every experience then, yeah then i can sleep easy that night yeah you know but i think a lot of it is rooted in and and we've also talked about this in other podcasts it's rooted in the need to control uh-huh which is based in the belief that young children aren't inherently capable and competent learners. Yeah. And therefore I have to teach at them and control their experience. Yeah. Bethany, did you have something? I did. You did look um, at this thing. <laughs> I <did it> my <laughs> hands. Um, I think also like with us keep, with the teacher keeping busy with themes, they're, they're removed from what the children are doing. Mm -hmm. So if you've got, um, you know, a class of like 12 to 18 kids and you're trying to make sure you're doing all your teacher things so you can teach, then you're not seeing that Amber is learning differently. Even if you're covering the same material, she's learning different things than Jason is Mm -hmm. because you know, like they're picking up on the different things. And so you have to have the relationship. Otherwise it won't matter if you're doing themes or not, because you're not going to know what's going on in your classroom. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Um, So, oh, oh, who started talking? 
it was me. Oh, go. I'm wondering, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, how someone gets stuck in the mud. Um, and I'm, with themes, it's easy for someone to get stuck in the mud because mm -hmm. everything we talked about, essentially. What I'm concerned about is not only the theme, but how someone gets stuck. Uh -huh. How do we move them forward into the process of getting out of the mud, essentially? And that becomes a difficult process because things are so attractive. Let's face it, there are some things that people have done, and I'm not, I'm not defending things, but there are some activities that people have done with themes that aren't necessarily inappropriate. They might not be the best thing for children, but like Richard said, it really amounts to how much control I have of an experience or an activity. So one of the ways maybe to involve to have people move forward is to look at how to become less needing control mm -hmm. rather than getting, like Annalisa mentioned this earlier, rather than saying no things at all because people aren't gonna pay attention to that. But how do we move people forward into looking at other possibilities? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say something that's gonna be shake some bones. Oh, good. Not that, not that, but I believe that there are some loose parts concepts and some project-based concepts that are theme-oriented. Yes, yes. absolutely. We change the name. That's what I'm yep. saying. Yeah. Right? We changed the name, but not the game. Yes. And I think, exactly. I exactly. think Dan, it was it was you that was maybe not when we were recording, but after we'd stopped and we were just chatting, um, you had just gotten the new issue of Young Children. Yes. And it was about... Um, not themes, but content teaching or something. And the article you read was presenting something as if it was emerging or project based, but it was really just a theme. Like they had noticed one interest that a child had. And instead of looking at how the child engaged in that interest and what the child needed next, or if he needed anything from them, right, it was preserving water. Conserving water. Yeah. They like to play in the water table or something. So exactly. they started a conservation project. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sometimes the evolution is to fall back into the mud yeah because the support might not be there we mentioned this earlier you know depending on because they might not have control of the decision of what can be done mm -hmm. but the other aspect is is i think the field changes so frequently that's a support mechanism for looking at it it's a holistic approach rather than an isolated approach, yeah. isn't necessarily there. And I'm not defending themes, but I think the issue is beyond themes. 100%. People. Yes, it's the person, right? It's how to move them forward. Yeah. yeah. I want to I wanna share something, and I'll, I'll try and abbreviate it, because it, it can get long and wordy. So way back in the day, I, well, when I owned a child care center, I used to think, OK, this is, this is crazy. I, I have a solution. It's, I can't do it because it's going to be unethical, but this is how I think we could get people out of the mud. You hire people to work in that 52 weeks, letter of the day, number of the day, color of the day, and you have them occasionally for staff development go and tour the other places that you own that right. are 100% play-based and child-centered driven. 
and you you let them it's all business as usual letter of the day got to turn in your lesson plans and we got it and i'm going to make sure you're staying on schedule and then after about six seven eight nine months you come barging into my office saying what the hell is this fucking bullshit how the hell am i supposed to know what children are going to need making me lesson plans do you know what how the benefits if kids play rah, 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 and you secretly right. clap under your desk Right, <laughs> and now you tell them they can go work at the school, but this is like the minors. It's yeah. like you gotta you gotta grow them up through the field team and 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 the minors until you're ready for the majors, right? Until you're ready to go to the show. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that is the most unethical, but yet you know it would work. You know it would work. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We've yeah. had to. I've had to do some compromising around themes. Um, I mean, I worked twice for a national chain of centers that had a prepackaged curriculum that came down and um uh I I kept the theme but tried to you know make sure the play opportunities I could explain it in terms of connecting to the theme um and that usually worked it worked better when I was um older and more established than it did when I was 24. I think though Heather that's an honest part of our evolution yeah. I, mean, I can't speak for everybody but I think I can speak generally for most of us is yeah. that you you were like oh I don't have to make the theme fit every single interest area yeah oh yeah oh, I can yeah. read a couple books and do a stupid art project and nobody's gonna fire me or quite oh yeah like, so you start to learn to dance within yeah. it until yeah. you are ready to move yourself into perhaps yeah. an environment that is more 100% aligned with what yeah. you're believing. The, uh, the, the preschool that I work in now um, before me had had the same teacher for like 30 years and she, you know, had a good program. It ran very smoothly and, 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 and people loved to be in her class. She was very theme oriented. When I, when I came in a whole wall of the storage room was just theme boxes, um, which was not unfamiliar. You know, we all have seen that or had those. I definitely have had my theme folders. Um, but our, our compromise then, because I, I went then to totally no themes, nothing. And it, it, it was difficult for the, for some of the other folks in the program to make that switch. And so we compromised on having a focus book and we just read the same book a few times. And then some of the, things in the environment could tie in like we read creepy pair of underwear so I threw some underwear in the water table and let them wash underwear um and we uh we read a book about an umbrella so I just threw umbrellas everywhere and let them integrate and we could do all those vocabulary enriching kinds of things that that um are tied to theme but it was still very much children's choice and play you turned into a frog there. So right. Someone else talk because my microphone's weird. Frog, frog week. I love but, frogs. Oh, I think that's an important pro piece of that, right? Is, 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 it's like you're shedding little bits that you no longer need mm -hmm. and finding, you know, cause ideally we would uh, get to interview our co-teacher before we accepted the position, you know, and mm -hmm. we would make sure that there was a, a little bit of overlap of that goodness of fit. But the reality is, is that you're often tossed in right. and you got to do that dance and figure out where I I've lately use like a Venn diagram visual of like, we're not on the same page, but what, what sliver of being on the same page do we have? Because as we all would agree, the relationship piece is going to be more effective than, you know, arguing over a theme is yes. not where, where can we start working on relationships so that we can balance this 
this out. But I agree 100% that it's coming, it comes down to the control piece and to the, the feeling like I'm teaching piece. We're, we've been doing school to children and we start as soon as in some places, six, eight weeks old. And then mm -hmm. we wonder why they don't want to get on the bus when it's time to go to kindergarten because mm -hmm. we've exhausted them. We have burnt them out. And you know, not not to reduce this to a soundbite, but I mean, we've all heard that if you want it in their head, it has to be in their hands. And you know, and recently hearts. I've heard, but it's not going to be in their hands if it isn't in their heart. And mm -hmm. that the that whole piece needs to be taken into consideration. Well, for me, that takes me back to what Bethany said in the beginning, which was we're this culture of doing. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's the world, or at least in the United States, it's the world we found ourselves in. But, you know, having, a, I, I hate to keep bringing up this book, but it's such a revelation for me, Carol Garbutt and Murray's Illuminating Care. Um, reminds Which I hope me is out that, by the time this episode comes out. That's right. <laughs> um, it reminds me that the gift of the early childhood professional is a focus on being and not doing. And that means swimming against the tide of our society that really wants us to do and wants young children to do, do, do. Uh, and as really the gift we are to them is in focusing on how we're being and how they're being and, and how we're all being together. Mm -hmm. I think the other question um, is whether or not themes it's ethical. Yes, please go on. <laughs> because if we're looking at, and that's the topic of ethics right now was real popular because you know, we shift in cultures and yes. And if we really believe that children are individuals and need to be respected as individuals, that would be the ethical uh, approach is to look at them as in, in themes frequently um, are in contradiction again to that component because uh, in, in many times the argument at workshops is, well, even though I do a theme, Dan doesn't have to follow it. Mm -hmm. Well, what are my choices if the only thing is out is bears or mm -hmm. <clears throat> dinosaurs or whatever, yeah. <clears throat> then the choices really uh, doesn't provide me an opportunity to. And the, the other component is, and Lisa brought this up earlier, if for a play-based driven, child-driven program, how does theme support uh, child-directed, child-initiated, and child-controlled? It really has to be initiated, um, in most cases, by the adult. Um, and so ethically, ethically, it's not really appropriate if it's not child-led, child-directed, or child-initiated. And that goes back to, uh, have we lost faith and lost trust in what yes. we know is what children need? Because, mm -hmm. and I'll repeat myself, the closer we get to having that kind of an environment, the less it ever crosses your mind right. that you have to be reverting back to some kind of overly rigid, overly controlling kind of day or curriculum or schedule or planning. Yes. You don't need to. Right, right. Well, and so for me, my ethics need to be rooted in developmental theory and research. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I have to reflect on to mm -hmm. make sure that I'm making ethical decisions, right? So, you know, I'm a big old Erickson fan. So when I think about uh, the young child's need for autonomy or power, 
Um, and then I apply that to whatever I'm providing for young children. I have to ask myself, you know, who's got the power here? And is it the child? And if it is the child, then I can, then I feel like ethically uh, I'm on the right track. But right. so many themes, again, shift the power away from the child. Mm -hmm. And like Dan says, if you, even if you make it optional, if they don't have other choices, then they remain powerless. Yes. Ooh, that goes back to something I love unpacking, which is, are we really proponents and protectors of play or of choice? Because mm -hmm. when there is choice out of that comes, I think what we've, we would identify as play, but choice is at the heart of that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to jump back to ethics for a minute because, um, you know, the, the main idea of most professions ethics is do no harm. Right. Correct. Um, and if we are creating an environment where control is so important, so we've got this theme and we want to stick to the theme and we've put all this work into it. So the kids better do it. And, um, this is how I prove that I'm a teacher and, um, this is how I know that they're learning, then that sets some children up for failure and stigma and ostracism because they won't do what you want them to do because they're not ready or they're, you know, it's not what they need or it's inappropriate. And so we, we have done, and, and this is a blanket statement and it, maybe it's harsh, but we have done harm in that then because we have created a system that has you know, really almost intentionally separated the good kids from the, the non-compliant kids. Um, so, so even taking away the, the cognitive aspects of theme planning, there's that social and emotional piece that's always part of what we're doing. And, um, and that makes me so uncomfortable <laughs> to, to think about that and to see it being perpetuated. Even the, well, Dan doesn't have to do it if he doesn't want it. Right. That's a message to the other Children. I was just going to say, the other kids know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it also doesn't take into account um, socioeconomic and racial justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, or gender mm -hmm. justice. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, whose themes are they, Richard? Sorry for interrupting. Oh, but, you know, you, whose themes are they? Where did they come from? Whose, right. whose right. lens have they been created and, and curated uh -huh. with? And if you do practice your observational skills, you start to notice and collect data that shows that a certain group, a certain subset seems to be doing well with your theme. Uh, and you start to notice who's not. And then you have to question, what, what is that about? And why is that so? You know, and, and in a relate, to me, what's related to that as we come back to, I was thinking about the getting them out of the mud um, topic that Dan was bringing up earlier. You know, so many of the so many of the people in our profession um, are again, you've all heard me say so many times are some of the loveliest human beings um, I've ever known, and yeah. it makes me so grateful to be in this field to be around such amazing human beings. But most of them, certainly most of my students at the community college level, um, come from very poor public education settings themselves in which critical thinking has not been mm -hmm. valued, Yeah. right? And so get them out of the mud and do what I've heard Dan and Lisa suggest. Um, you have to have the ability to think critically 
and not just follow instructions. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that flow through our field um, were never given that when they were young. So I just want to put that out there too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're often compliant rule followers who don't want to rock the boat, loving as the day is long. Caring as the day is long, um, but you know when we've had that conversation in other in other podcasts and in other topics, mm-hmm. you know who the the temperament of who our profession can attract makes us amazing caregivers, but horrible advocates, horrible <laughs> for standing up for ourselves. And you know we we sometimes there's parts of us we're like, oh my god, this is the stupidest thing I'm ever asked to do, and we'll bitch on the way home and we'll talk to our families about it, but we never actually take any action. Well, I need my, because how dare you call me out like that? Put food on my family's table. Yeah. And that's a a piece of it too. You know, at the end of the day, you know, if you have somebody who even asks themselves, am I doing harm? You know, is a unit on fairy tales really at the end of the day, that bad of a thing, you know? And I think like what Dan says, it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing, but the methodology methodology in which we often, um, that we adopt in order to, to reach that goal I think is often what needs more scrutiny, like yeah. like not themes, not standards, not wearing a mask, yeah. but how are we now changing and modifying the environment to get to that place mm-hmm. of compliance is often where I get yeah. answers. And that I think ties back to what Bethany said about relationships early in the conversation, because you can have, um, you know, a, a playful classroom, you can have a theme classroom, Um, If the adults aren't intentional about relationship creating and supporting and growing and warm and unconditional positive regard for the children, then it doesn't matter how you're presenting content or, and and what sign is on the door, what sign is on the door. Um, And so I feel like part of, part of what makes me uncomfortable about themes then is um, again, what Bethany described as the busyness of the teacher preparing everything for the theme and not being in t- attuned to what's going on around her while or him while she's while they're doing that. Well, themes are definitely related to being a teacher, and mm-hmm. until these folks understand the difference between teaching and facilitating, amen. Yeah, right. That's part of getting out of the mud is understanding. Right. I don't, you know, like I had a young teacher contact me the other day and said. You know, I just don't understand. We just finished our um, unit on the planets and all of my preschoolers can recite the names of all the planets, but I can't get them to sit through calendar. What should I do? <laughs> calendar, oh my like, word. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. <laughs> <to> unpack there. <laughs> Writing it down, calendar episode. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that what Bethany said earlier is we live in a culture where things are predominant because if you're the last college I taught at, there was a sociologist. Remember, this is a sociologist who said to me, I have not changed my syllabus in 20 years. Right. <gasps> and you know, as we develop, if we're going to trainings and that, that sometimes the content of a syllabus mm-hmm. is based on themes. First mm-hmm. we do this, then we do this, then we do that. Not taking a look at what students need, mm-hmm. even at the college level. Um, but what the textbook says, 
we are supposed to do. So Bethany's right, we do live in a culture that is really, really, uh, again, uh, focused on uh, the doing aspect uh, rather than the evolution of growth and mm -hmm. understanding and developing or, critical thinking. Yeah. Um, so it's not just at the preschool level. It's, it's, you know, I'm thinking it's really a movement that is uh, throughout. Education. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this for me goes back to facilitation versus teaching. You know, I've taught the same college courses now for years, but they're different every time yes. because yeah. I facilitate these discussions and I take that leap of faith because I have no idea what's going to come out of my students' mouths. And, and I facilitate it. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in a particular class, uh, you know, my students may come away at the end of the semester with some different things than last semester students because that random group of human beings had different things to offer and the discussions went in different directions. But a lot of my, uh, my community college colleagues uh, that idea makes them very uncomfortable. They think it's it the control piece. Mm -hmm. yes. it, you, it is impossible to make the leap from teacher to facilitator until you have made peace and reconciled your need for control and you've either started to figure it out or you realize that it was getting in the way. You got to do that homework, that, right. that, that piece of it. Yeah. It's you're part not of, really get to it. it's part of this, this myth we have of standardization. Like we mm -hmm. think that we can really achieve standardization and, and everyone on the same level. And that's not how humanity works. <laughs> um, but I, I think about, um, you know, like the, the position statement for developmentally appropriate practice. One of the things it says, one of the core considerations is that we have to know the individuals and then they have all these other pieces throughout it that say, um, you know, learning's not linear and we need to support whatever, whatever. But then we see them still talking about standards and, and yeah. meeting standards and teaching to standards. And you can't, you can't be both. You can't be individualized and standardized. And I think that's part of what themes tries to do is, is feed into that, that myth of standardization. Yeah. Well, it's a conundrum. Uh, and again, my, my community college pieces maybe as a metaphor for early childhood education, but you know, so when I was teaching at St. Louis Community College, I happened to be teaching on the Ferguson campus when Michael mm -hmm. Brown got shot and before, during and after. And mm -hmm. I had a very unique uh, group of Ferguson residents who were my students and they were incredible. Um, but we were going through this process of becoming one college. And there are four campuses across St. Mm -hmm. Louis. Two of them are um, high poverty and uh, high demographics of women of color. And the other two campuses were affluent and white, and they were mainly young girls who were fresh out of high school and wanted to get some of their credits handled at the community college level mm -hmm. before they went on to college. And the concept was, was that when you got an associate's degree from St. Louis Community College, no matter what campus, it told the employer that you all had gone through the same education. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter was, there was no way it could be the same. Mm -hmm. There was no way that the people who I was charged with serving could meet the same standard expectations that the, uh, af the kids on the affluent campus could get to. So there was, it was a myth that that paper could mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's what we do 
we want to get them, we want to get young children ready for kindergarten. So as long as they all know their address and they could, they all know their letters and can spell their name, then they're ready. Are they though? No, not at all. Another episode. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> Write it down. So um, we're at an hour now, kids. <laughs> Happy birthday. I, I want to go back to what Lisa said just for a second. Sure. Is to move from teacher to facilitator, Richard said this also, um, I, the avenue of recognizing who you are, why you're there. Uh, and the word choice to me, again, is absolutely crucial because I think looking at um, who makes the choices um, and you can't make a choice unless you give up making choices unless you feel confident about yourself. Sure. And I think part of that is the ability of, of idea that if I give up control, I lose control. Um, and I think, I think there's a culture, again, that supports themes because it gives me control still. So we have yeah, to we help know. people move. I think we got to stop saying that themes are bad, even though I don't like them. I, but how to help people move from um, themes to look at um, other components um, and how to give up control. And that requires that self-reflection piece. Absolutely. That, and I was wondering if I was going to be able to say this, to stop defining ourselves by our ability to align our practice with a theme, that we're yes. more than our bulletin board, we're more right. than the door decoration, and that by questioning a programmatical, like a school-wide programmatical decision to start breaking up with this rigid alignment with a theme-based ideology doesn't mean you're bad. Correct. I'm not gonna take, I'm not, but 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 we all know that like, but I do butterfly unit yeah. every spring. <laughs> I hatch turtles every winter. That right. I'm not taking you away, but I think I think we have to be honest and and be willing to go there. That yes. that that by by moving past your butterfly hatching unit you still let's look at what you do yeah. bring still to the table and yes. you can still hatch butterflies <laughs> like you can still do that if that's what you really really want to do but it doesn't have to be tied to a theme where everything is butterfly exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. but we've done this every year yeah yeah it's like yeah. i'm not wanting to take away i'm not wanting to take your blood your your whoopee away from you you know, I'm not pulling your binky out of your mouth. Right. I do though want you to start seeing that you bring more than that. Yeah. Than the chicken hatching. Right, right. Yeah. But that's a really good point though. You know, we are creatures of habit and routine. Yeah. Human beings. And there's comfort and security uh, in, in, in August. Cool. I don't know all the kids coming my way, but I know how the year's gonna go because I have everything planned <laughs> out. Yeah. And that's part of being human. Yeah. Sure it is. It doesn't make you the best professional, mm -hmm. but it does make you a human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so here's another offshoot podcast topic, playing teacher. <laughs> All right. I got the list. Um, Bethany, do you need to say anything? We keep talking over you. Oh, hold on. Say it again. Do you need, uh, to, do say you need to say anything? We keep talking over you. 
Oh no. Okay. <laughs> um, thanks for letting us see your visit your your visitor. You come hi. So uh, Bethany, for those who are listening and not watching, runs a family childcare home, <laughs> and one of her little ones just wandered in and got on her lap. So we're all distracted by. And they love putting the absolute earbuds cuteness. In. Yes, oh. yes, the cuteness. Um, okay. If only we could ask her what she needs, we wouldn't yeah. be have, need to have this conversation. Yeah. How do you feel about memes? <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Uh, we can we can end on that expert evaluation of themes. Um, okay, we really should wrap it up. But is there anything any of you were just dying to say that we haven't? got into yet this could go on and on and on um oh yeah thank you very much happy anniversary birthday for celebrating with me yay i like you all um okay well thanks everybody for listening and um this is another episode like i always invite comments on the on the episodes um but i don't really usually like no one i don't think anyone ever really comments on my facebook posts but uh, of the episodes but anyway this is one i really would like to hear um, uh, people's thoughts about to sort of, um, understand it better myself and also think about how, um, how we can support people as they try to try to do this, this journey and get out of the mud. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Thanks to everybody nice for being here and the pajama party Woo-hoo. and all the fun we've yeah, had. If you all want to see Dan Hodgins in his star Wars pajamas, <laughs> you have to watch the video version. and we know everyone does does, so um all right this is real wrapping it up for real this time bye everybody and that's the show now go get your nerd on has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.